Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. I had posed the question on Facebook about what does this Christmas story teach you? And I think all of us understand the traditional concepts and themes that emerge during the Christmas season, a season of joy, a season of peace. And if you're anything like me, the, the charity, the benevolence it kicks up a notch in this season. You want to do things for people that throughout the rest of the year you don't always think about doing. And we give gifts that we don't always give throughout the rest of the year. So there's a lot of things that goes along with this just automatically. Year after year, we keep revisiting these themes. My challenge today is to take us to the account in the book of Matthew and see another theme that Matthew brought with the narrative of the birth of Jesus that we miss because we focus so much on these other very traditional and common themes. And I'm grateful for the last video we had because it also did that same thing. It took us beyond the traditional themes of Christmas, and it forced us to think about a perspective of Joseph and Mary that we don't always consider when we think about the birth of Jesus. We think about the good news, and and Luke... Luke's account takes us to the announcement that the angel brought to shepherds. That is a very popular theme in the Christmas season and in the Christmas message about, uh, I bring to you uh, good tidings of great joy and announcing the birth of a Savior to the world. But we miss some of the other things that the gospel writers are trying to tell us because you people know Christmas was not a mentality of Mary and Joseph. It's it's our mentality. We've surrounded it with a holiday we call Christmas, and we've hung our own trappings on there. But they had no concept of Christmas. They had a concept of bearing a child. And the news that, that the angels announced to the shepherds had nothing to do with Christmas. It was a, me- a message of great joy. And, and the best news the world had ever heard, a, a Savior is born to you. So going to the book of Matthew, I'm going to move quickly through this today. I want to start reading in the 18th verse because the first part of the first chapter has to do with genealogy. But we get into the 18th verse of the first chapter, and Matthew says this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, God repeatedly speaks to characters in this whole narrative through dreams and through angelic messengers to reveal his divine plan. That's what I want to emphasize to you today. If we can just totally, wholly separate our minds from the traditional Christmas themes that we think about and just look at this story apart from the Americanized version of this, from the 21st century version of this, and go back to what happened there. And as Matthew put his thoughts down, what did he see was important about this story? What did he emphasize that we generally miss by just focusing on, I give you good news of great joy that a Savior is born. So let's see what Matthew is trying to say about this, because I think there's a very important lesson to be learned from the birth narrative that can be a blessing to you from this day forward. And that is that God has a master plan. The whole story of the birth of Jesus is about a master plan. And this narrative, as recorded by Matthew, is about God's master plan and how he unfolded that master plan and how he used people to accomplish that master plan and how he communicated with people in order to execute his master plan. So this first message that came from God to humanity was by the way of an angelic messenger. Joseph was stunned and confused. His fiancée was pregnant and claims it was a miraculous conception caused by the power of the Holy Spirit. She believes it because she knows that to be a fact. Joseph does not believe it. In fact, his attitude is probably, yeah, right. You understand? How could he not doubt such a convoluted story? So now this woman he loves ends up pregnant, and she claims God did it, and he says, this is a cover-up. You're lying to me. I'm just going to break the engagement. This child is conceived by God and will be called Jesus, and the name Jesus means God saves or Savior. And that name is translated Joshua in other places, same name. Yeshua, if we try to get close to the Hebrew pronunciation on that. And basically meaning he will save his people from their sins. And because Joseph is made to understand that there is a divine purpose behind this event, he's now better able to brace himself for the challenges of keeping his wife and not having to explain to the community to their satisfaction why they're doing what they're doing or how it happened. But the angel comes to Joseph and tells him, don't divorce your wife. She's telling you the truth. It was important that Joseph knew and believed, and since he didn't believe Mary, it took a message from heaven, it took an angel from heaven to tell him the truth and to convince him she wasn't lying. 
Now the problem is Mary knows and Joseph knows, but how they're going to get their parents to believe this. How they're going to get their neighbors, the rest of their family members to believe this. So they're going to have to live in a community where many, if not most people at the very beginning, are not going to believe this story that Mary and Joseph are making up. How is Joseph going to bear up under that? Because he knows the truth. It took a message from heaven to convince him. They needed this reassurance to be able to endure what they were going to face. Now there's a second message in this story. And we find as we continue to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, you're familiar with it, there were some wise men from the east, Persia, an area that encompasses modern-day Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Romania, Armenia. And from this territory come these wise men who combined astronomy with a little bit of astrology and fulfilled their political and their religious duties and roles in their homeland and they saw this interesting new star rising, and it didn't match anything they had in their records of the heavenly bodies. They knew this was a, a strange phenomenon. Interestingly enough, these men who were involved in astrology, and, and those of you who know what astrology is know that there's no biblical foundation. There's no truth foundation in astrology. It's, it's, it's all ho hokey stuff. And these, these men who, who trafficked in, dealt in this ridiculous astrology stuff associated with astronomy and didn't come up with truth, they, they came up with nonsense, suddenly, miraculously, see this star in the east and understand it to mean exactly what it was supposed to mean. God penetrated through their old heathen hearts and understanding and mentality and drove truth home to them through their practice of astronomy and astrology. And that's the first right and true and correct thing these astrologers ever got in their life. They saw the star and they said, Well, this means there's a king born in Israel. How many of you see the hand of God in that message? He can penetrate through a heathen heart and a worldly mentality. He speaks to the wise men. They understand exactly what God wanted them to understand. This means there's a king born in Israel. So off they go, leaving their homeland. <clears throat> they go into the land of Judea. And they stop and see Herod the king. Now, for wise men, this was not so wise. They stop to Herod the king and they say, where's the new king? That was the stupidest thing they could have done. And Herod is shocked. He's incensed. He's thrown off balance. He calls his men in. What's this thing about a king? What do you know about the king? And his men have just enough of Old Testament knowledge to be able to say, yeah, we remember prophecies about such a thing. A king is going to be born. Where is he going to be? And they inform him biblically of what's going on. 
And so he's infuriated because he is a jealous kind of a king. So he tells the wise men, we don't know, but if you find him, let me know. I'd like to go worship him too. And the wise men leave. And the star appears and guides them to the place where they find Jesus, which would have been, at this time, not in the manger, but in the house of Joseph and Mary. So we see the evidence of God informing Joseph and informing the wise men and the star leading them and all these miracles coming together because God has what? He has a master plan. Because he works through people to execute his master plan. He communicates with men and women to execute his master plan. And it says that there was an appearance of the star in the east. In case you've ever thought about that, isn't that the wrong direction to go from Persia, Iran, Iraq, to go west? And so why are they following a star in the east? And really there are explanations for that, that they may have sought rise in the east, but then later on that star moved. It was moving. <laughs> it led them, whatever this thing was, it led them right to the very house. So don't let the eastern direction confuse you. They end up coming and finding Mary and Joseph and the little child. And these heathen astronomers, astrologers, who are now hearing messages from God and being led by God, they bow down and they worship the king. It, they weren't Jews, but something about the majesty of this little baby who is not just the king of Israel, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords drives the heathens to their knees. They know something special is happening here. Their hearts were open. They were receptive to truth. I wish there were a lot more people in this day and age receptive to that kind of truth. Then we have a third message. <clears throat> the Magi find the Christ child at the house of Joseph and Mary. They give these beautiful, expensive gifts. And as I was studying this, I wondered, what happened to these expensive gifts? I don't know. You ever thought about that? Uh, did Mary and Joseph cash them in and pay the bills? Did they keep them in storage for Jesus? You know, what happened to them? Whatever it was, it was a blessing to that family. And as the Magi are now finished with their, their journey, their purpose, they determine we're going to go back home. And an, and an angel comes and talks to them again. Now, I'm a little bit jealous. These are heathens. And they're getting all these personal communications from God. And here I've been trying to live uh, for the Lord in my entire life. I haven't had one angel tell me anything. But this angel comes and tells them, don't, don't go back the way you came. There's danger if you encounter Herod. So they took another route home. And this message assures us that as God communicates with us, 
he does so to provide care and protection for us. The fourth message. After the wise men left, an angel appeared to Joseph and warned him to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. Joseph and Mary packed up and left that night because Herod had issued this edict that he wanted all the children to and under slaughtered. That is a moment in history that we don't think about. But what a dark, horrendous moment as he sends out his goons to go and find all children to and under and slaughter them on the spot. Can you imagine what parents went through simply because a jealous king did not want another king, and he didn't know who it was, so I'll kill them all. I'll get them all. I just put out this blanket assassination. What a mournful, grievous day in the land. And God was one step ahead of Herod as he sends an angel to Joseph and said, pack up your family, flee into Egypt. You can't be here. We've got to spare the Messiah. We've got to take care of him. Then a fifth message comes. Third angelic messenger to Joseph. Joseph's in Egypt. The angel comes and tells him, Herod's dead. You can come back home now. In the process, they learned that Herod was dead, but they got back and found out Herod's son Instead, Archelaus was now king. As a matter of fact, Herod had two sons, Antipas and Archelaus. And uh, they took different regions of Herod's realm of authority, and it was divided. And Archelaus took Judea, and uh, Antipas took the, the southern, the, the uh, region of Galilee, and you got two sons of the wicked Herod who are now on the throne, and Joseph and Mary come back. The angel has told them it's safe to come back, but when they come back and find out Herod's son is on the throne, now Joseph is afraid. And neither Archelaus nor Antipas has ruled long enough to know their nature. They don't know anything about them. God knows the future. We don't know the future, but God knows the future. So Joseph gets back to Judea, and he's most likely, by reading this story, it's easy to believe that Joseph had already made up his mind, uh, I'm not going to Nazareth. That will be entirely too difficult to go home and take my wife and my child and live there and endure the kind of difficulties that, that we're going to endure. So he, he doesn't want to go home. But where's he going to go? Because he goes to Judea, and Herod's son is on the throne there. If he goes home, Herod's son's on the throne there. What's he going to do? And he has a confirming dream. 
These last three messages that come to Joseph, they're all about safety and protection. These, the, the message to the Persian Magi was about safety and protection. And when Joseph doesn't know what to do because he's surrounded by Herods, he wonders, did I miss God? Did I misunderstand the message of the angel? Where do I go? And Matthew says, this was a moment of redirection for Joseph. But the Old Testament prophets had already recorded that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, do you realize, people, how many things in your life God brings about because he's already determined what he wants for you? God's not making up the rules as he goes along. He has a plan. We see this nativity story as a beautiful demonstration of the fact God has a plan. And it's a good plan. And it's pre-planned. And if you can fit into that plan, you'll be taken care of. You'll be all right. But if you don't fit into God's plan, good luck to you. That's all you're going to have. But fitting into God's plan, following God's plan, yielding to God's plan, listening to God's voice, those are the important things that emerge from this entire story. Joseph and Mary were both from Nazareth. Matthew doesn't tell us that. But Luke tells us that. So should he go back home and endure the rumors and the gossip or go find a fresh new community where he can start and not have to explain this seemingly illegitimate son that they have? But God directed him to go back home. Now, have you ever noticed in your life, like I have in mine, that God often leads into places that I would not have chosen. He leads in ways that I don't reckon to be the best way to go. I can tell you for an honest fact in my life, the choices I make tend to favor me. I will be happier doing this. I will be more prosperous doing this. This looks like the wiser thing to do until God interferes with my plans. And it's actually gotten to the point in my life when I am given a choice of something that is attractive and something that is ugly, God has now gotten me conditioned to the, thing, to the position where I think, I have to take the ugly choice. I know it's eventually going to be that. I can't take good choices it has to be out of the will of God somehow. I know that sounds flippant. I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I, I have been conditioned to thinking it has to be the less comely choice because God seems to always lead that direction. So with Joseph and Mary, they didn't want to go back to Nazareth, and God says, go back to Nazareth. They had all the reasons to argue that point. But God gets his way to people who are committed to doing his will. If we make choices based on what we think looks like great opportunities, instead of letting God lead us, we usually make a mess. And young people, as your life is ahead of you, be careful of the word 
opportunity. Sometimes Satan couches his most dangerous works and traps in the word opportunity. The worst messes I've made in my life were those that I saw. What an opportunity. <laughs> it was a trap. God doesn't lead us into opportunities, if you'll take that for what I mean it to be. But he leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us in the ways he wants us to go. All of these important messages, they're in the birth narrative. God leading, men listening. It's the story of the birth of Christ and God executing his plan. If you read the entire account, you notice that Matthew has this repeating theme the fulfillment of Scripture. And I've, I've passed over this. I didn't pause to pick that up. But as I conclude this little sermon et this morning, don't think I've ever preached a sermon et. But if I conclude this sermon et this morning, I, I want to go back, wrap back, and point out the uh, reinforcement of Old Testament prophecies and how these were all shaping up to what God wanted anyway. In the 21st verse of that first chapter of Matthew, the angel says, uh, she will have a son, you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, which says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and then they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So that was a fulfillment. Matthew brings this out. That's just what God had planned. It's what he wanted. And then Herod's own wise men, for all practical purposes, they quoted Scripture. And... Herod said, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And they quote, say, in Bethlehem of Judea. For they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a, a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then in the flight from Egypt, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, saying, I will call my son out of Egypt. He's going to be a Nazarene. I'm going to call him out of Egypt. And God, things seem to be so random. Why is God doing all these random things in my life? But you see, the Old Testament prophets knew. They, they said ahead of time, he, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be calling... Uh, uh, He's going to come out of Nazareth. He's going to come out of Egypt. And you read that before the prophecies were fulfilled and you say, those prophets are all confused. They don't know what they're talking about. Until you see the plan of God coming together in perfect harmony and the things that don't make sense to you because you just can't bring them together, they seemed random, they seem opposing, they seem contradictory. Until God unfolds his plan, you go, that's what it means. It all works together. It makes perfect sense. How he can be a Nazarene and come out of Egypt and be born in Bethlehem. All of these things because God has a plan. And then Herod orders the slaughter of all the babies to and under. And it says Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. 
A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel reaps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead, which is a prophecy that Herod performed this mass slaughter. And then finally, Joseph being directed to Nazareth. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled what the prophet says said when it said, he'd be called a Nazarene. So the entire incarnation, the entire narrative was planned to the tiniest detail. And all Joseph and Mary had to do was fit in. Friend, God has a plan. And I think if there's a message that Matthew had, and it's not his only message, I promise you, but one message Matthew wanted us to understand when we read this story of the birth of the Savior is God has a plan. And all he wants you to do is fit into it. And there's perfect joy and perfect peace when we are fitting in with the plan of God. Aren't you thankful for the plan of salvation? Aren't you thankful for the plan of the incarnation? Aren't you thankful God didn't just invent things as he went along, but he had it all planned out? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Have you devoted yourself to him and said, God, I've had a plan, but my plan is not as good as your plan. What can you do for me? Would you bow your heads?